Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. We are glad that you are joining us today. Hope you're having a great day. And uh, whether this is your first time listening or you've been uh, with us since the beginning, really glad you are here. Whether you're a brand new speaker, you're just like, I just don't know what I don't know, or you've been at this for a long time. Again, either way, we're glad and honored that you are here. So today we are having a uh, another co-hosted episode with Miss Melanie Diesel, and uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. Before we do, let me remind you, if you haven't already, we'd love for you to attend our free training or we're teaching all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So if you're a speaker just going, I, I'm I'm a speaker, I've done some speaking, but I just need some help in uh, finding and booking more gigs, doing it quicker, and having a system for how to exactly do that, make sure, you again, you stop by and check out freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. We host that free training every day and would uh, love for you to join us for that. Again, you can find that over at freespeakerworkshop.com. Today, we are going to be having a conversation with Melanie all about how to transition from a speaking part-time, speaking a little bit here and there, to being able to do it full-time. So uh, we talk about how our uh, like our own stories of how we made the transition to full-time. We talk about when to make the transition, when makes the most sense. Talk about how to juggle everything before, during, and after the transition, as well as how to best prepare yourself to make the transition as smooth as possible. So maybe you're kind of in that limbo spot where you're doing a lot of speaking gigs, but you also have a full-time job. And it's just like, it's just right there, but not quite enough to be able to make the leap. Or maybe you don't feel like it's enough. And so maybe today is an encouragement for you that maybe you you uh, you have more in place than you think you do in order to make that leap to go from part-time to full-time. So let's dig into it. Let's have this conversation with Melanie Diesel. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here today, joined by Miss Melanie Diesel, and we are back. We haven't done a, a co-hosted episode in a in a little while. In a it's minute. been too long. It's too long. too long. Let's get the band back together. This is fun. All right, so today we are going to be talking about a topic that has come up often, and uh, which is important because we want to hear from you guys on what are the common questions that you have. We want to make sure that we try to get to those in the podcast. So this is a uh, an episode that came directly from uh, some of the questions that you guys have had about how do you make the transition to speaking full-time? So maybe for you, you're doing a little bit of speaking here and there, and you're going, okay, I want to go from point A to point B in terms of doing it full time or doing it more, but I've got a full-time job or I've got life or I've got family, I've got these different commitments and obligations. And so it makes it really difficult to figure out how you actually make that transition. And so so for some people, maybe like speaking is just part of what you do professionally. Uh, it's Maybe it's just a, a part of your, your day job or your side hustle for others. Maybe the goal is to go full-time. And so we want to talk about how to make that transition to full-time. So let's start with this, Mel. Let's start with just kind of our own stories of how we made that transition. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you. How did you go from, I'm interested in speaking, I'm doing a little bit of speaking, to now I'm doing it full time. 
Yeah, it was a slow burn. It happened almost accidentally, right? So I I mean, I was speaking somewhat as, as part of my day job. At the time I was at the New York Times and Time Incorporated, I was representing my team. I was in, you know, client pitch meetings. I was going to media day presentations. And I got a few chances sort of ad hoc to go and, and represent my team at conferences to present the work that we were doing. And what I found is that I really wasn't nervous. I really enjoyed it. And I found myself coming back to my day job being like, dang, that was a lot more fun yesterday. How do I do more of that? Right. right. So I started looking into it. That's actually when I came through VPS as a student through Books and Paid to Speak. And, you know, just a few months after that, I, you know, three months after I joined VPS, I made a leap and went full time starting my consulting and, and speaking business after that. So for me, it was really slow process, a lot of preparation, you know, doing it little by little until I had enough demand and enough preparation to be able to, to make that leap and leave my full time job. What yeah. was it like for you? Yeah. Well, in fact, we we actually had you uh, talk about this a little bit more. If you go way back in the archives to episode mm-hmm. 51, I actually interviewed you just before you made that leap. So I definitely would encourage people to go check that out, episode 51, as you're kind of, you're right there getting ready to make the leap. And so you're now a couple years removed from that. So this is probably, <laughs> that episode maybe a little fresh on uh, on where you were. So for me personally, um, I, I talk about this a little bit in our in our in some of our different webinars. So if people haven't checked that out, I'd encourage you to, to go over to freespeakerworkshop.com freespeakerworkshop.com. But my nutshell was uh, I used to be a youth pastor and was uh, even in college, even before this, I was I worked for a guy who was a full-time speaker. So I got to see like a glimpse of speaking, what was involved in that, what that entailed. And so as a youth pastor, I, I naturally had a lot of opportunities to speak, speaking on a weekly basis to primarily to high school and college students. And then from time to time, we'd get to speak on the weekends and quote unquote, big church. And, and it's just one of those things, like I think like you kind of alluded to resonated with me as well, that I, I just really enjoyed it, wanted to do more of it. And mm-hmm. just, I think for a lot of us, like we didn't really know it was a thing. Like I didn't realize that this is a a possible opportunity. So after I left that p- particular position, I decided ultimately, okay, I want to be a speaker. I want to I want to do this thing. But again, going from like zero to 100 just felt like an eternity away. So the transition for me was I started building my speaking business, was booking a few gigs here and there. And then the primary thing for me was I worked a kind of a, a hodgepodge of different jobs and roles in order to make ends meet. So for a little while, I worked for a, a security company doing sales work, uh, like residential and commercial security systems. And then where Worked at a, a couple different fine dining restaurants as a server, and for and then I worked a little while for a, a seminar company, uh, doing some presentations and seminars for them. I worked for a school assembly organization, and none of this was enough to do full time, but it all kind of pieced together at different points to make it work. And so going from zero gigs to being able to do it full time took me about a year and a half to two years or so. Where as I was building up my own speaking things, then maybe okay now I'm going to drop one of the, the the restaurant gig right, and then mm-hmm. okay now I book a few more gigs. Okay, now I'm going to drop the security sales gig. Okay, now I'm going to do a few more gigs. And so as the business built, it wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to quit my job on Friday and on Monday, just go figure it out. It was really, it was a slow evolution and a slow transition. And and I think that tends to be the case for most people is it's really hard to go from, I want to be a speaker, so I'm just going to quit my job. And all of a sudden I'm going to figure it out. It just takes a little while to build that momentum and to get going. Yeah, for me, I think that full transition from when I did sort of my first speaking gig to when I was actually ready to leave my full-time job was about 16 months. So, you know, a little over a year. And, you know, 
I always, you know, people say, well, that's, that's not so long, but it is important to note that, that those were intentional months. Those were right. months of preparation. Like you're talking about doing something else at the same time, building that pipeline, doing the work, you know, it's not the kind of thing where you go speak once you have this magical, you get discovered like right. you do at an open mic night, you know, in your local, your local bar. Right. Exactly. So it does, it does take work and it takes prep. And I think for a lot of people, that might be why it's intimidating to make yeah. that leap. So maybe we could talk through some of the benefits, some of the reasons why if you want to do this full time, at some point you do have to make that leap because juggling both is, is incredibly difficult for any extended period of time. Yeah. So we came up with a list of five different reasons why it might make sense to to transition in from a full-time job into full-time speaking. So let's kind of walk through these. So the first one would be be travel. The, the reality of, of speaking is it requires you to travel. And this is kind of a, a big pro and con, right? It's a very first world <laughs> problem that we joke about. It's like, ah, I got to get on another plane. I got to fly to another hotel. And yeah, like there's parts of it that are nice and they're glamorous, but it does require you to travel. And so what ends up happening though, is if you have a full-time job, you're going to end up burning through a lot of that vacation time, just doing Doing, doing gigs and and potentially risk upsetting your you know your boss your company or your job or falling behind in some of the work that you got so as travel increases it becomes just more and more difficult to to balance all balance it all and, and I definitely saw this I mean I, I was sort of building my pipeline while I still had my full-time job and there does hit a point where people are like you've been gone a while right, like, right. And, and whether it's your boss has some level of understanding or even just your colleagues who are like man, Grant is never here. You know, we're, we're all working hard and he's gone half the time. What's going on? It can start, can start to cause issues for you if you don't have that ability to just pick up and go from your job. Yeah. And so part of the reason that I had some of these other jobs were like the security sales job was hundred percent commission. So it was the boss I had was pretty chill and it was just kind of like, Hey, I totally get it. If you need to travel some for a speaking gig, he knew like he was well aware of what I was doing and he knew like, this isn't this security gig is not like a career move for me. It's just, it's a means to an end. I'm just trying to right. pay the bills at the moment here. So he gave me a lot of freedom and flexibility and the same with like uh, working at a restaurant, right? So I, it was easy to say, Hey, I'm going to be gone a couple of these days and having that freedom and flexibility versus I think it would have been a lot more difficult if I had a traditional nine to five job. So that leads us to the, the second reason why it may make sense to transition, which is just the flexibility. So to be a full-time speaker, like you, you just have to have a flexible schedule to be available for gigs. So if you work from home, this might become a little bit easier, but most traditional jobs, again, they have more firm requirements about where you are and when. So for example, I was talking with one of our students the other day who is starting to do some speaking um, and they're a high school teacher right now and they're wanting to speak to other teachers. And I said, well, part of the challenge is you're wanting to speak to other people, but you need to be in your job at the time <laughs> when you're wanting to be speaking. And so you, you're running yeah. the same schedule that these other people are running. So you have to have some level of flexibility in order to make that, that transition to, to full-time. And I think the distinction between, you know, talking about travel and talking about flexibility is on some level, like we were saying, you may be able to make this work if you have a part-time job or a remote job right. or something. But at the same time, that job still needs to allow you for occasionally to have to, you know, be gone for an extended period of time, you know, maybe right. without much warning or to be somewhere where you're not just working from a different location, you're actually unavailable off the grid. You're right. on a 12 hour flight or something. So even if you are trying to maintain some other job, that flexibility in your schedule is going to be key, whether it's a remote job, you know, a local job, you know, that you're working part time or something else that that flexible schedule is absolutely key. Yeah. The third one that we'd say would be time. Like the reality is, is just building a speaking business that just takes time. So like we were talking about earlier, took both of us about a year and a half or so for most speakers. I think it takes even a little bit longer, sometimes two to three years, just building outreach. Uh, Cause the reality, like if you just think through a timeline of 
let's say I decided today I wanted to start booking gigs. I start reaching out to some potential clients. It may take me a month or two to actually book something. And that event may not take place for, you know, six, nine months or so. So it may be, you know, as much as a year away before the actual event happens, exactly. right? And so you really yeah. have to build some of that that pipeline. And so to do that, it just it's almost impossible to have a traditional Monday to Friday nine to five job at the at the same and, time. And if you think about it, I mean, we're familiar with this concept in other fields, right? You know that if you're a musician or a model, you need to get an agent, you need to sure. get a manager, right? You acknowledge that it is a job to build right. demand for someone who who is stage talent, right? We know that, that that is the thing. And so imagine that you're sitting here, you're trying to work your actual full-time job, whatever that may be. You're trying to, to be the speaker to go out and, and give presentations. And you're also your own agent. You're really right. working three jobs and you can't give more than a third of your effort to all those things, never mind if you have a family or other commitments or, you know, hobbies or, or health you might want right. to care about at some point. So, you know, it, it does take time to put in the work to actually make this happen. Well, and to that point, I think it's important that if you're going to make that transition, that you do treat it like a job. I think if you treat it like a hobby and you're like, ah, I just want to, I'll speak here and there. And <laughs> why am I not getting booked all the time? Well, like if you're putting only, you know, half the effort in, you shouldn't be expecting the a full level of results. So treating it like a job and setting committed hours to for yourself and blocks of time where, hey, I'm going to be working on this. And I, I know we'll be talking about that more in a minute here, but again, just making sure that you treat it like the type of results that you want to be getting out of it. Absolutely. And part of that is the commitment, which brings us to number four, this fourth reason, which is really your branding. Because at the end of the day, so long as you are trying to do these two things and be these two people, work these two jobs, you can't really lean all the way in and build your own brand successfully while you have to represent yourself as some other company, right? So if you were going to step on stage as the manager of company X or VP at company Y, then your stage time is is benefiting your company. And that may be wonderful as an interim solution to get your at-bats, to get your name out there. But at some point in time, you want to have a full-time speaking career where you stand on your own and it's your name and your brand and your message and not just your company. Because if it's all relying on that company, then next year when that gig comes up, they're going to hire whoever the new VP of company X is. And right. they're not going to come calling back to you because you're leaning too much into that company brand. So I think that ability to step out onto your own, you know, to really step into your own brand, your own name and build that on its own is super powerful if you want to make this a full-time thing. Yeah. Absolutely. The uh, the fifth and final one that we have is pay. So if we recap here, we got travel, flexibility, time, branding, and pay. So on that note, many events will assume that if, if you're employed, you're representing your, your company. Therefore, they don't they don't feel like they need to, to pay you or that they don't have to even provide for your travel or anything. They just assume that the company that you're mm-hmm. representing will be paying you. So there's, again, kind of a, a perceived, just a, a perception in the marketplace as to whether it's you versus you being part of your company. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I dealt with in a big way. You know, like I said, I was often representing my teams and my companies when I was going out and speaking when I started. And, you know, for many of those companies who were trying to book me for the following year, they'd say, well, last year, so-and-so company, you know, paid for your travel or last year you were coming on behalf of this company. I did have some gigs that said, we'd rather have whoever the new representative is of your company, right? That's what they were, they were calling for. And so, you know, it it was difficult in some cases to make that transition from people who thought of me as a paid employee of a company who didn't need any funding, who didn't have a fee, who didn't need to have my travel reimbursed to someone who, who, you know, was a professional speaker. And I think again, in big part, when you can really step into that brand and, and dedicate all the time, you'll be better able to demand those prices when you're standing in your own worth. 
Now let's talk about like, when do you actually make that transition, right? Because now people are going, okay, I'm in, let's do it, all right? (laughs) So I bought into the why part, but when the transition becomes a lot more problematic. So a couple thoughts here. First of all, I think think we'd all be on the same page that there's really, there's no perfect time, right? right? Like I always think about like, when's the perfect time to get married? When's the perfect time to start a family? When's the perfect time to have kids? When's the perfect time to leave your job? When's the perfect time to start a business? There's no perfect time. Like if you wait until the stars align and the sunshine and rainbows and puppies and unicorns and all of that, you're never going to do anything in life, right? Not just like starting a speaking business, but just in life. And so you have to at some point just say like, okay, the timing's not perfect, but at this very moment, you know, it may be as good as it's going to get. Now, a lot of this obviously depends on your, you know, your family situation, your commitments, your financial situation with kids and a mortgage, you know, it may be a little bit more difficult than if you're single and have minimal expenses. So all of these different factors really start to play into it. I know for me personally, when we, you know, when we were kind of making that transition, one of the things that we did kind of leading up to it, and I don't know if this is intentional or unintentional, but worked out where we were very intentional about paying off our debt. And so we had we had about thirty thousand dollars in credit card debt and student loans and car debt and just miscellaneous debt crap. And so we really got intentional about paying that off. And so before we made the transition into speaking full time, like at that point we were debt free. So that right. really took off a lot of financial pressure of making sure, like we, from a financial perspective, we had a lot of our ducks in a row. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, the important thing to emphasize here again is that it's different for everybody. So the concerns that I may have, you know, at the time when I made the transition, I was a single woman. I didn't have any children. I didn't have a mortgage. Like yeah. the commitments and concerns that I had as someone making that leap is very different for, you know, even some of our colleagues, some of our fellow speakers who have children, have a mortgage, have other commitments, maybe own their business. And so it's very difficult for them to make that transition. So, you know, there are a lot of things to consider. You do have to sort of weigh what your priorities are and make sure that you're making the preparation, which we're going to talk about in a second, right? How do you make those preparations? How do you prepare yourself? But I think the important thing to note is that like we said, you may never feel 100% ready. It is called a risk because it's scary. It is going to be scary, right? Any big change like we talked about, any big change like that is. But the key is if you're making the preparations, if you've planned it out and you know that you're not just recklessly leaping with abandon into the unknown, but that you've created a plan and you're making a calculated risk, then at some point you do just need to make that commitment and, and make the leap. Yeah, I think that's a good point that oftentimes we feel like, you know, being an entrepreneur means that you're taking reckless risk. And and the reality is, is like, I'm personally, I think you are the same way. Like we're very, very risk averse. And so (laughs) we take risk in our business and in life. And that's kind of, you know, the nature of things, but it's very, very calculated. It's very, very planned out. And I don't want to just like, ah, let's just kind of wing it as we go here. But like really think through, you know, in our business, whether it be from speaking or for what we do with the speaker lab or whatever it may be that we've really thought through and planned out. Like you're, you're never guaranteed success, but I always kind of felt like whenever I made that transition, I kind of felt like I would rather be involved in a train wreck and know at least I tried than to look back on my life and be like, dang, I think I could have made that speaking thing work, but I'll, I'll never know because I didn't <laughs> give it a shot, you know? And I think that's yeah. the case with anybody in life. Like there's two types of regret. There's the things that you do that you wish you hadn't done. And we all have our fair share of those. And there's the mm-hmm. things that you didn't do that you wish you had tried. And like, I just, I think for so many people who are like, I've done some speaking, I know I've got what it takes. I just need to take some of those next steps. Then create the plan, follow the plan, but don't go at it recklessly. But at some point there is a certain level of risk when you're, you're leaping off the cliff, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, there's two different levels here, right? If you look at it objectively, getting into a vehicle is a very scary thing to do, right? right? I mean, they are dangerous 
massive machines, but we wear seatbelts and we buy safe vehicles that have airbags and we try to follow the rules of the road and there are speed limits in place. All of these things right. make it a calculated risk. So yes, there's risk associated with it, but it's not like you and I just decided on a whim to sign up for like a forklift race, in right. which case we're doomed. <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't know how to Is that drive a thing? I don't know. I made it up, but it seems like it would be a really roll with that. That's good. reckless thing to do, right? So that's the difference. If you're doing the preparations, you've created these safety nets for yourself. You're, you know what you're getting into. You're not throwing, throwing caution to the wind, right. which is really what we're going to talk about next, right? So how do you actually juggle both of these things? How do you move through this process in a way that saves your sanity and you know avoids all the, the chaos of a train wreck or, or a forklift race? Yeah, let's talk about that. How do you juggle both? Because the reality is, is like you're working a full time job, whether that be a single job or kind of a hodgepodge of different things. And then you're trying to build something else up. So for a little while, I remember it feeling like I'm working two full time jobs. I've got Mm -hmm. this one thing going. I think of it almost like spinning plates, right? I've got one or two plates spinning and I can just maintain those just fine. But now I got to get this other one going. And until I get the other one going, I can't drop the other ones, right? Because I still depend on that to pay my bills or for insurance or for whatever it may be. So for a little while, it just feels like I'm working all the time. So logistically, from a time management standpoint, like how did you start to make the transition to doing both? So, I mean, I think the the first thing that I looked at was figuring out what time can I actually allocate to my speaking business? Yeah. So for me, I was lucky in that at the time I was working a fairly like normal nine to five desk job. I was also working a job that had bouts of time that were really busy and bouts of time that were less busy. Right. So there were some days where I'd have half a day where I've got nothing on my plate. So I could use some of that time to myself in a different world. I might do it. I might watch videos or, you know, read articles. Instead, right. I'm going to use that free time to, to put toward building my own business. So that's one of the things to do is to look at your time and see, is it that I'm going to do this from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. after my kids fall asleep? Or I'm going to wake up an hour early before I have to start my commute? Or I'm actually going to start taking the above ground train instead so I could use that hour time of my commute to dedicate to my business, right? So look at what are the times that you can actually allocate to your business and then make best use of that time. So for me, one of the things I did is I wrote email scripts for myself because I knew that if I could copy paste different versions of certain emails, that would save me time, you know, from having to having to start that you could use all kinds of tools and systems to automate that on some level too. I also used an email scheduler because I knew the times I could dedicate to my business were not normal business hours. And yeah. it's not necessarily professional for me to be sending outreach at one in the morning. You know, people will right. make their assumptions. So I scheduled those to go out during normal time. So I think time management, that first assessment of what time do I actually have to dedicate to my speaking business and then making really purposeful use of that time is is key. Yeah, I would totally agree. I was doing the same thing. I remember, especially when I was working for the the seminar company and then the school assembly organization, doing some presentations for them, which was a, a, a step in the right direction. And that I would, it gave me an opportunity to speak. I was getting paid a fraction of what I could on my own. And so I knew I wanted to make that transition. So whenever I was traveling for them, I mean, any spare moment in a hotel room, any spare moment at an airport or anything like that, where I could really focus. And, and even like you said, weekends, mornings, evenings, after, like whatever I could, I was spending time time working on this. It reminds me of a, um, 
in a totally different industry, but a friend of mine who was trying to create a, his first online course while working a full-time job. And he would go and he worked in this big corporate environment. He would go into the parking garage, sit in his car and record lessons. And he's got a picture of it, of him recording lessons in his car on his lunch break in a parking garage. And like, that's what he did. And I, I think it's the same thing. Like you, you don't have the luxury early on of massive blocks of time. You're finding lunch breaks where you can send, you know, five more emails or you can follow up on a previous conversation or you can research an additional event or you can work on your website or whatever. I think one point though is that like you kind of alluded to is that you have like very dedicated time to work on something and it's not just, okay, I've got an hour of time. What should I do? Maybe I should watch another video. Maybe I should read another article. Like at some point you have to take action. You have to do (laughs) something that moves the ball forward instead of just pondering and thinking about what you should be doing. Right. And I think, you know, again, just so just having a sense time management is really key, right? Like knowing what time you're going to dedicate. And also, as you just said, having actually a list of items of things you're going to do. You know, you don't want to say, oh, I got an hour. What the heck am I going to do with it? You know, you want, again, make best use of that time. Right. Uh, And speaking of of time, I think the next thing is figuring out how you're going to actually get time to speak. So, again, while you're juggling this. I was pretty lucky in that my employer, again, you know, was happy to have me go out and talk about the work that I was doing on my team. So kind of like you said, it's a step in the right direction, getting at bats. But I think that's one of the tough things to juggle for sure during that interim is how are you going to be able to get time to go do what you need to do while you're building this up? Yeah. And so, and if you don't have that luxury, cause I, I was speaking for a different company and naturally the job was for me to go out and speak, which that was great. But you know, for the, let's say for the restaurant job or for the security job, like I wasn't doing any speaking on that. So I needed to have a little bit of flexibility. I, it wasn't that I necessarily had to take vacation time in those particular roles, but I knew that by taking time off of those things that that, again, those are the plates that I needed to keep spinning. And so it, it affected some of the, you know, the work that I was able to do there. So again, just needing some of that freedom and flexibility. So for depending on someone's schedule, I, for example, I live in Nashville. So if I knew that I had a very limited, uh, opportunity or or a limited amount of vacation time, it may mean that I can't say, okay, I'm going to take off three days to go to California to do a gig. You know, I need to find some stuff that I can do here in Nashville or something that I can do within, you know, a couple hours drive that maybe only it's going to take one vacation day. And I just have to look for that. That doesn't mean I have to do that forever, but for at least while making that transition, I need to find something that's semi more local or regional that that's going to make travel a little bit simpler. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, some of this is going to depend too on who your ideal audience is. If you're speaking to businesses or you're speaking to schools, obviously, like we talked about earlier, their working hours are going to be much the same as yours. So there is going to be more of a sacrifice there. You know, there are some environments, perhaps a faith-based environment where you're in luck. Most of those those conversations are often happening on weekends, right? right. On our days of worship. So a lot of that's going to depend on your audience and, and when you need to be where you need to be. But hopefully you can get lucky and find a balance of either local or, you know, vacation time or whatever you could do to make it work. Now, one other thing to really think through here is going to be kind of a, a publicity or marketing standpoint. For some jobs, some bosses are going to be like, like for my my job as a as in the security world, like they didn't care I was going to speak. I'd come back, hey, how was the gig? Like they, it didn't matter to them, right? But let's say, for example, you are working in some type of corporate environment, which is where you were, and you're mm-hmm. speaking on something that you're wanting to brand yourself as something separate from that company, and it may be the type of thing that your boss is like, whoa, 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 you're wait, what are you doing on the side here? <laughs> Like, and you're not representing us. Uh, Cause yeah. I, I know of uh, one specific speaker in our, in the speaker lab community 
And he decided to kind of put the brakes on, on speaking because he was in a, a very highly regulated industry, I think financial services, something to that effect. And so his, I think like their company even sent out some type of memo of just like, hey, you can't be speaking on, on this topic in, you know, on your own. So there's going to be some of this. So how did you kind of navigate that in terms of making that transition and starting to promote yourself, but not wanting to raise flags or ruffle feathers with potential yeah. employers? Absolutely. So, I mean, like I said, I got lucky in that one of the things that could fall under my responsibilities for my full-time job was going out and speaking on behalf of my team. So yeah. I was doing client presentations, media days. I was talking about the work that we were doing. I worked in advertising, so publicity was great for us, right? right. So I was lucky in that it was okay in my company's eyes in both cases for me to say I was speaking because it was to their benefit that I was speaking. I know not everyone is that lucky, but in order to help manage that, one of the things I did have to do was get permission for any gig that I was doing while I was still full time. As long as I was talking about the company's work, you know, they were generally happy to, you know, accommodate that and felt like it was to their benefit, to our team's benefit that I talk about our work. But, you know, I did have to get their buy-in because at the end of the day, if I'm going out as a representative of my company, then, you know, they need to be aware and they right. need to be okay with it. So that is one of the things that was tough to juggle. And obviously that was relaxed once I went out on my own. The other thing I tried to do, especially when I was doing preparations for gigs, when I knew I had set a date for myself of when I was probably going to be leaving my full-time job, I wanted to have my pipeline full and be ready by a certain date. So when I was doing outreach for gigs that would fall after that date, I would be careful. You know, you don't want to say, hey, I'm leaving my job, right? right? right. You, don't, you don't want to go out there telling people. Um, but what I would do is I would reach out and say, you know, here's my experience. I'm a speaker. I talk about these things. I'm currently the such and such, right? You know, you give your current title at your current company, but if you don't lead with that, if you're talking more generally about your experience, about your expertise, about what you speak on the past places you have spoken, it becomes less of a sort of the, the headline of your, right. your current company. And so that's what I tried to do to help me set myself up during that, that transitional period where I was still working full time, but pitching for gigs that were several months out when I knew I would be on my own. What I did find is once I left my full-time job, it was fairly easy for me to reach out to those folks and say, hey, just wanted to let you know, here's my new bio for you to update the website or the pamphlets or whatever. You know, I've left my full-time job. You can now identify me in this way. And most people were just like, all right, I'll update it. No problem. Like it right. wasn't, a, wasn't as big of a deal as I maybe feared it would be. But it is, it is tough to juggle that back and forth when you're sort of living in limbo between those two things. Yeah. And while we're on the topic here, we got two other podcast episodes we'd encourage you to go back and listen to. Episode 113, talked with John Vroman uh, about he how he kind of made that transition into becoming a full-time speaker. And from that episode, it actually took him several years to really go mm. from, I'm interested in speaking, to be able to doing it full-time. So go back, listen to his story. And then also episode 150 uh, with Eric Ream. Eric had gone through, booked and paid to speak, and has been extremely, extremely successful, makes well over six figures. What's crazy about Eric is that he still has a full-time job. At the time of this recording, he does like 40, 50 gigs a year, makes great money from speaking and still has a full-time job and is married and is a dad. And like, I'm just, every time I talk and to him, I'm like, like a good dude, human being. he's a great he's hero. Not, yeah. You're just he's like, not like a burnt out crazy man. No. You might think with so much. No, he's like a wonderful person. Eric makes me feel incredibly unproductive. <laughs> <laughs> episode 150. Go back and listen to, uh, to that episode. Okay. So at this point, people are listening going, all right, all right, how do I actually do this? So let's talk about that. Of uh, just some practical next steps on how you prepare to make that transition. So the first thing I think we would say would definitely be to, to begin with the end in mind. And this is really just doing simple math. 
Mm-hmm. So you really want to figure out like how much do you need to be making on a monthly basis? How much income do you need? And you need to figure that on the net. So I remember uh, I was talking with my mom recently. We were kind of talking about uh, she's thinking she's getting closer to retirement and we were kind of doing some of the math there. And as we were going through some figures, I was like, all right, let's talk through this. And she was giving me some numbers and I quickly realized it was the gross numbers that she was giving me, not the net numbers. I was like, well, the net's what you bring home. So that's what we need to base it off of. So if you're making $50,000 a year, but you're only taking home, you know, $40,000 a year, you need to bank at 40, not the 50, right? So figuring on that net. But again, just because of that, though, you also, you can't forget about taxes and insurance, travel expenses. Like you really want to be very, very realistic and practical on what do you need to to survive, what do you need to eat and live mm-hmm. indoors? And and like you really want to like, I think for me, like I, we were really thinking through how do we cut this down to the bare right. minimum in order to make that transition? Because you're, you're just doing this for a season. This isn't the way it's always going to be, but at least for a season to really get clear on what do I ultimately need to get by? And then I can start to kind of reverse engineer and figure out how, you know, how many gigs I might need in order to make that work. And I think that reverse engineering process is really important because especially if this is your first time transitioning from like a full-time salaried position to a time where you're going to be making your own income, some of the things you want to, again, you really want to plan this out because your cash flow is going to be different. You're not going to get a check every other Thursday of a consistent amount. You need to be able to plan for the fact that you'll have ebbs and flows. You'll have good months and bad months. You'll have good quarters and bad quarters, and you've got to have that planned out. The other thing you want to think about is, is just the reality that this is an equation, like you just said, right? It's a number of gigs at a fee. So if the smaller you can bring down your overall required number, whether yeah. that's cutting useless subscriptions or eating out less often, I know it sounds it sounds trite, but the reality is that's the difference between you having to do one gig a month and four gigs a month. If you right. can make some of those cuts, make some of those adjustments. So getting real about your numbers, getting real about what you can expect and making sure that you've, you've created a real estate plan for yourself. Like we said, going from zero to a hundred gigs a year in one year is probably not feasible or right. realistic or honestly healthy. Right. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're, you, you've got the end goal in mind and that you've, you've laid out the steps it takes to get there. Yeah. The other thing I would, I would piggyback on that as it relates to insurance specifically is I, there's a lot of people I talk to that say, well, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd love to leave my job, but I have insurance. Right. And it's just like insurance is just a financial benefit. Like, so for example, if you say, well, I, you know, I got a big family and, and my insurance is worth $10,000 a year or something expensive and insurance is stupid expensive. Totally get that. Right. Definitely. But the reality is, is like, if you can go do your own thing, and make $10,000 more per year, you're, you're still cu- covering and offsetting the benefit of insurance. So I, I hear that a lot of just like, well, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to leave for insurance. Like insurance is just a financial benefit. So again, look for ways that you can, I've been self-employed for I think 13 years at this point. Uh, we've always had our own insurance. It's a pain in the butt. Same. It's annoying. It's stupid. It's so expensive. <laughs> it's just kind of the way it is though, right? Again, if we make more doing it on our own than we would by again getting insurance is just a benefit like why wouldn't you make that transition or shift yeah exactly and i think what you will find at least what i definitely found is there are certain things that are part of this process that are going to feel foreign to you and are going to feel like obstacles the best thing you could do when you're thinking about that end and identifying the steps that it takes to get to that end is identify opportunities to let someone else help you yeah because I mean, you may just need to go talk to the small business, you know, advisor at your bank and you'll get all the information you need or go over to your local H&R block or whatever and get their insights on how to pay, how you're going to need to plan 
for your taxes. Like right. don't let something that is a small logistical thing that's different about this way of, of making a career keep you from taking the steps you want to take. Find those people who could help you get to that end point that you have in mind. Well, and speaking of taxes, back in episode 33, uh, we did a whole episode on how to pay your taxes as, as a speaker. And this is something that, again, oftentimes we don't think about of just like, oh, I got a check for $2,000 and yeah, but you're not going to get to keep all of that, unfortunately. So Uncle Sam's going to want his cut. So make sure you listen to that episode. Again, that's episode 33 on uh, how to pay your taxes as a speaker. So, all right. So number one, begin with the end in mind. Number two will be to create a safety net, create a, a safety net. Now, most personal finance people would recommend somewhere between three to six months of living expenses. Some of this depends on your, your comfort level. I know for us, when my wife and I, when we made that transition, we didn't have much in savings. We had hardly any in savings, but I was really, really confident in in our growth, how quickly we were gaining traction at the time. We had a newborn, but that was it. So we didn't have a, a ton of overhead. I also knew like, okay, worst case scenario, I can always go back to the restaurant gig. I could always go back to the security thing. So I knew I had a couple other variables in play there that gave me at least enough comfort to not feel like, okay, even though we don't have a significant amount in the bank, I feel okay. Whereas I know for other people, I know they're like, hey, I saved up a year's salary and then I made the transition, right? And you got a year to figure it out. So, I mean, that works as well. So again, it's not necessarily one's better or worse than the other, but having some type of, of safety net definitely helps ease some of that, you know, that potential stress or tension. Right. And again, everybody's safety net and everybody's definition of safety is different, right? So for me, one of the things that I paid close attention to knowing that I wanted to be leaving my full-time gig is I was still paying on student loans at that point. And that was a huge monthly expense for me. So my thought was, I have two options. I can save like crazy right now so that I can continue to make loan payments after I leave my job. Or I can not save right now and pay as much as possible toward those loans so that that monthly number I need to have once I leave my full-time job is much smaller and I have more confidence in my ability to hit that. So that's a judgment call. You, you may have the same situations, whether that's cutting down debt, reducing your expenses, moving in with someone, you know, getting a roommate if you're at that point in your life. Whatever those opportunities are to create a safety net, again, you have to, you have, to have that first step to know what your numbers are, to know how much of a safety net you need. But for me, it was, it was a matter of just trying to reduce my expenses as much as possible ahead of time saving up as much as I could and lining up a few gigs and clients, even if they were maybe not the most desirable, not exactly on par with what I wanted to be doing to at least get myself started and know that I had something coming in. So that, that was how I, I created that for myself. Yeah. And in addition there, like I know for us, when we, when we finally quit everything, like we were slowly dropping one hodgepodge job at a time until we were finally like solely on our own. It was also because like how much we had on the calendar. So it wasn't like, Okay, I've done all the gigs and and now I'm good now. But I feel like we can book some more. Like I just I had a bunch on the calendar. I had a bunch of stuff coming up, and so I felt very confident about what had come in, what was yet to come in, the number of leads that we were still working on that seemed promising. And so the, all those different variables and factors really started to help with just confidence level. And another thing that you said there is just in terms of cutting down debt and just the num- the amount of overhead that you have. So one thing I, that was kind of an epiphany for me early on, and this was silly, but um, at the time when I was really getting started as a speaker, I lived in, uh, in Missouri in the Midwest, and it was generally a fairly low cost of living. And, and one of the things I realized was I, I had a buddy of mine who was doing a lot of speaking who lived near where you are in New York City and <laughs> where the cost of living is extremely high. And I knew for he and I, like, 
we both would get paid more or less the same amount. So it wasn't like when I was getting booked for an event, it wasn't like they were like, where do you live? Okay, because of that, therefore, we're going to pay you double. You know, it just just doesn't work like that. So Mm -hmm. I knew that by living in a part of the country where the cost of living was a little bit lower, that it definitely, it helped me in the long run uh, by not having as much overhead. So am I suggesting like, hey, you need to find the cheapest part of the country and, and move there? Not necessarily, but definitely consider that if you're going, listen, I, I, I need to reduce the amount of overhead expenses that I have. Um, that may mean that you make some sacrifices for a little while. It may mean like, you know, Mel, like you said, moving in with a, a parent or something or moving in with a friend or getting a roommate or not eating out as much or moving stop. to a cheaper neighborhood. Yeah. Or, I mean, it could be yeah. any number of things. Like none of this is like permanent stuff. This is temporary things in order to build to where you want to want to want to get. Absolutely. And the other thing, number three here, so we talked about, you know, beginning with the end in mind, creating a safety net. The third one is going to be looking to build other streams of revenue. So Grant, you talked about working for a seminar company. Talk about that as an opportunity for us. Yeah. So there's a couple different seminar companies. And and in fact, I don't have the... uh episode number, we'll have to look that up and put it in the show notes, but uh, there there are three primary different seminar companies. Uh, one is SkillPath, one is National Seminars, and one is Fred Pryor. They're all based in the Kansas City area. Um, if I remember, and it's been you know, 10, 12 years since I worked with them, but I think two of them may have merged, so I, I don't have the com- complete up-to-date information on that, but the nutshell is like you would go present their information. They would book the gig. They would have you go out and, and present the information, which is great. The challenge is, is like they, they don't pay really well. It wasn't an ideal thing. I remember like uh, I was in my like early mid 20s. I was typically the youngest person in the room. Um, it wasn't the most fun piece that I, you know, it wasn't really <laughs> what I wanted to do. But again, it gave me an opportunity to speak. And to your point, like it just took some of the pressure off of like, all right, if I didn't book any of my own gigs this month, at least I've got, you know, a couple days with the seminar company that helps offset some of that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if you're not lucky enough to get in with a seminar company or that's not the path you want to take, look at the other skills you may have that you can monetize too. So for me, one of the things, you know, my background is writing. I know that writing is something that I can do very quickly. I can do it very efficiently and I don't mind doing it for hire. So in my first few months after I set out on my own, I took a lot of freelance writing gigs. I was writing articles. I was proofreading people's papers, proofreading resumes, you know, all those little odd jobs, monetizing a skill that I have just to be able to bring in some extra revenue. So, you know, for you, that may be you're a good designer, you're a photographer, you know, you know how to fix cars like nobody's business, whatever that sort of side skill that you have, you know, knowing that you can fall back on that and create alternate revenue streams there, whether you see yourself as a freelancer or you take on some part-time work with a local business that offers that service, it's just another way for you to add a little bit more to that safety net and give yourself some time to help build up what you're doing. Yeah. And so it could be some type of a side hustle like that. It could also be something more professional, like related to what it is that you're doing, something like coaching or consulting. I know that's something that you've done a lot of, right? Yeah, definitely. So consulting was not something I initially set out to do. You know, I thought I would be doing mostly speaking, just a little consulting. And what I found really quickly is that the speaking led to a lot of consulting inquiries. And so I sort of listened to the market there. And for, and you know, at this point, consulting has become a really big part of my business, sometimes between 40 to 60% of my revenue. So uh, it really, it really depends on the year, but yeah, consulting has, has become a major, major revenue stream for me. And, and any of that stuff in terms of just building other revenue streams doesn't have to necessarily be directly connected to to your speaking. So in the transition, having income is really more important than where it comes from. So I knew that like when I was working at a restaurant, like this is not a career thing. And I remember a couple of times having people, friends, family come in and they're like, oh, you, you work at a restaurant, huh? Like, 
this isn't the in the goal here, all right? It's just I'm just trying to pay bills at this point. Um, so it could be something you know, like working at a restaurant. It could be uh, you know, this wasn't available for for me back in the day, but I remember I love the idea of driving for Uber or Lyft. I still, as a total aside. I still think I talk with a buddy regularly. Like we should do that for a weekend. I just want to be a Lyft driver just for a weekend, just to see what it's like. Right. And Imagine the stories. If you, oh, if you it'd talk be gold to- speaker gold, oh, it'd be good. Maybe we need to do that. We need to try that. So, uh, I mean, again, could be driving <laughs> for Uber or Lyft, could be you Airbnb, an extra room, uh, or pick up a, you know, part-time shift at a coffee shop or do odd jobs in your neighborhood or using your craftiness to sell goods. I mean, I remember my wife and I, uh, for a little while we sold, uh, I think we've talked about this publicly, but, uh, sold purses on eBay, which is a total random thing. And uh, wow, I no, didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't know that? No. I'm pretty sure we've talked about that. But, we've definitely uh, never talked about it because <laughs> I wouldn't be laughing this much. <laughs> we uh, we did well. We did well selling purses. We sold a lot of purses. We sold a lot of Abercrombie and Fitch clothing. Wow. Um, and you know what? It worked. It paid the that bills, tracks. right? So again, just <laughs> doing some type of thing that just takes the pressure off of um, uh, of feeling like you have to book something every single week, right? And part of the reason with that is the fourth and final thing that we talk about here is it allows you to also budget for slow seasons. So with speaking, it's very, very cyclical. So you tend to, depending on the industry that you're speaking to, there's going to naturally be some seasons that are busier than others, you know? So uh, to think of this another way, if you are in retail, right, it's, you're going to be busy in November and December. You're going to be slow in January, February, yeah. right? It's a different time of, time of season, right? In the same way that if you're an accountant, if you're a tax professional, April tax time is, you're going to be really, really busy. But like after April, it starts to slow down significantly. So the same thing is true as a speaker. So you really, it's really important that you start to budget for those slow seasons. So for example, if you, um, um, speaking tends to be pretty dead in like November, December, January. Sometimes summer can be a little slow. Spring and fall tend to be busier. You just have to plan for those. So like if you make bank in October, that's great. But that bank may <laughs> need to also cover you in December or January. So you have to plan accordingly for that. I remember the first year that I was out speaking on my own. I This is one thing that I was not aware of, did not prepare for. And I remember this moment in December when, so I, I mentioned I was doing both speaking and consulting, right? So I was sitting there in December and all of my clients start evaluating and, and finalizing their budgets for the new year. In one single day, I had all three of my clients contact me and let me know that they had lost the, you know, the project we were working on had lost budget or wow. been sidelined or whatever. So I lost all three of my clients and I was like, well, at least I have the speaking. And I looked at my pipeline and I was like, no, I don't. I got nothing. I got nothing until nothing. March, nothing until March. And so I had this moment where I thought I'm done. I'm washed up. This is it. It was a short lived, you know, we, we burned bright and we burned right out. Um, but you know, it's one of those things you just got to prepare for. You're going to have those seasons. Um, if you do have a speaker who, who works, speaks in your niche, who speaks either to the same audience that you want to be speaking to, or, you know, on the same sort of topic, talk to them, see if you can get some insights or just look at their event page on their website yep. and see if you can deduce their seasonality from that. Because now for me, like I know I'm barely going to see my family and anyone I care about from, you know, March, April, May. And from, for me, it's August, September, October, sometimes a little November. Um, and, and everything in between is going to be slow. You know, if you, yep. you want to hang out in June, I'm here right. all, all month. I got nothing but time. <laughs> nothing but time. And that seems to be the case with, with, again, just speaking in general is there's, there's that old saying, um, to what is it? Make hay when the sun's shining or I don't know, something that, you know, that sounds like a Nashville thing. Uh, I don't I know. I we don't talk about hay up here. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> So like basically like when the opportunity is available, so that may mean like 
um, uh, you know, February, March, April, you're just slammed and you're doing as mm-hmm. many events as possible, but you know, you need to do that because for the next couple of months and, you know, May, June, July, there may just be hardly anything going on. And so right. the fall tends to be busy because, you know, winter is coming. Right. And so you're trying to store up for winter, so to speak. Uh, and I think this is also helpful that you go through some of these highs and lows because it helps you to learn to stomach it a little bit better, right? And you and I, you know, we're friends with a lot of, of you know, big name professional speakers who've been at it for a long time. Uh, we're in a, a private Facebook group with several of them. And we see those comments regularly of people like, I've been in the business for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and my next couple of months are just dead, are just slow. And so you have to learn to kind of ride with the highs and the lows. And so when mm-hmm. when business is good, it's really good. When it's bad, it's really bad. And it's, it's no different in our business with the speaker lab we have months that are amazing and months where you're like what just happened right and so you have to kind of learn to 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 roll with that you know and know that that's going to be that's going to be part of it and this is important especially for those of you who are starting out who are transitioning into full-time to know that that's part of it if you're yeah. setting out right now you're you're doing the outreach you're doing the work this is why it takes 16 months two years three years to build that pipeline to get your momentum going because it isn't a guaranteed, right? You don't just send it out immediately and, and all the gigs come rolling in. It takes time. And even once you're established, you're going to have those months. So don't get discouraged. Stay there through this transition time. Keep doing the work. And I think you'll find that, you know, you make it eventually if that's your end game and you're working toward it. So ultimately, again, like we've kind of said, everyone's journey is different. Your personal situation with your family, your finances really plays heavily into how and when you make these choices. And like we touched on, you're not guaranteed success at all. But if you feel like, okay, I've done the math, I've, I've calculated this all out, at some point you have you have to make a leap. And ideally, it's not just a blind leap off of a cliff, but uh, I've heard the analogy of um, if you're running from like a dock jumping into a boat, that you're trying to pull the boat as close to the dock as possible. So it's not <laughs> a leap. It's I'm stepping in from one thing that's from one thing that's known to something that's potentially unknown. But at the same time, I've, I've calculated and I feel that the, the, the risk is worth taking. Exactly. Do the math and do the work. Do the math, do the work. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Melanie all about how to make that transition from part-time to full-time. Now, I mentioned to you at the beginning that if you're looking for a step-by-step plan and strategy on how to build and grow your speaking business, make sure that you attend one of our upcoming free trainings where we're teaching exactly how to build and grow your speaking business. So you can do that by going over to freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, it's totally free and uh, we host those every single day. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. All right, that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.